They say it's in your blood, a game that can't be won, only played. A love affair, it satisfies the soul and frustrates the intellect. The greatest game ever played, golf. It's real. And this is Real Golf Radio with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper, son of legendary golfer Billy Casper. Talking golf with you for more than two decades. And now, here's Brian and Bob. Thank you very much and welcome in to another edition of Real Golf Radio. So happy to have you along. At Real Golf is the Twitter handle. Find us there, follow along, download us wherever your favorite podcast is found. You can also take us along with you on SiriusXM 203 and I Heart Radio on several different channels, including the new GNN Radio Network, courtesy of our friend Ryan Ballingy at Golf News Net. Great to be with you as we recap the 123rd United States Open Championship from LA Country Club and uh, also a little bit on the KPMG Women's PGA Championship at Baltusrol. What a great venue. And then the ladies, two weeks later, they'll find themselves playing right there at Pebble Beach for the U.S. Women's Open. So pretty good stuff going on the men meanwhile on the pga tour at the travelers where it's another designated event so we got a lot to talk to we're going to welcome in america's favorite caddy as we break down the u.s open and the venue and how it performed we'll also welcome in boyd Summerhays, who is a coach to his son who uh, uh preston Summerhays, who played uh, qualified played missed the cut but uh boy sure shows a lot of good signs out there bob i mean watching p you can tell he's his game is maturing at arizona state and expect uh, bigger and better things as he continues to develop you know, and the cool thing about Preston also is Preston plays um, during the winters and a lot of time uh, with Tony Finau and John Rom, and he played in those practice rounds with them. Um, he sees their work ethic, what it takes to get to be one of the top players in the world, one of the top 15 players in the world. And, you know, that can't do anything but help him to understand what it takes to get there and then to have his dad along being able to teach him uh, having been a tour player himself, um, be able to teach him um, how to how to hit it better, and then at some point, um, you know, Boyd will back off just a little bit and uh, and not take such an active role with him. Yeah, it's really cool. We'll talk to Boyd about that. He also spent some time working with Wyndham Clark for quite some time. Who, of course, we offer congratulations on winning his second PGA Tour event and his first major championship. I yeah. mean, the guy is a major champion. And uh, we'll talk about him. He wasn't even in the field at Augusta, missed the cut at the PGA, and then he shocked the world with a W at LACC. And, uh, yeah, as they said, a star is born, and Wyndham Clark will get into it all next right here on Real Golf Radio. Now, back to Real Golf Radio with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. All right, welcome back. It's Real Golf Radio. Brian Taylor, Bob Casper. So good to be with you. This segment is brought to you in part by Callaway Golf. Trade up, double up, get two times the trade-in value. That's up to $500 over the base value per customer. Shop now through the end of the month, June 30th. You can order online uh, at CallawayGolf.com, or they also have some of their retailers involved. Look, we're talking about the Paradigm family. We're talking about Apex Irons, the Big Bertha family, the Great Big Bertha family, the Riva sets. I mean, pretty cool stuff. Check it out. Double, wow, double value. How good is that? And Bob. Ooh. The paradigm, so you'll like this. So I had a member, one of our friends at the club, one of my favorite guys at the club, 
And I'm on the range the other day, and he says to me, he goes, BT, hey, hey, come here. I got to show you something. I'm like, okay. He was so excited, right? And, uh, and, and I went up there, and he pulled this head cover off. You know, he had, a, he had his own personal head cover. He pulls it off, and he, and he holds up the paradigm. And he's just got this little kid Christmas morning grin on his face, right? And he's just like, this thing is sick. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it is. He's like, I got, I got it. I'm so, I love it. And then he says, he goes, I wish I could play yours, the triple diamond. And I was like, it doesn't matter. I go, that's the whole point. That's why they make three of them. You know, yeah. I've, I've never played the triple diamond before. It just happens to, this one happens to fit what I'm doing with my swing. That one fits yours. You probably don't put as much spin on it as I do. You know, again, that's not like you're, 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 it's less than of a driver because it's not the triple diamond, but you know, he's just like, I can't, I can't believe how sick this is. And this is a guy that is agnostic, if not uh, other brand favorable does that make like loyal like he's more loyal to other brands than Callaway I would say if not at least a little agnostic he's not like us we're obviously huge fans and we have a relationship with Callaway this guy is just like hey it's, it's the best thing he's got going so if you haven't given it a shot be sure to do so check it out callawaygolf.com take advantage of that uh, double trade-up value now through the end of the month but yeah I, I can't believe sometimes I just sometimes I just shake my head and smile when I hit these shots I'm like this driver is ridiculous <laughs> And I do have yep. to throw a little yep. love in for Fujikura and the shaft. I mean, it's the shaft. It helps as well. But that that paradigm, mm, three wood hybrids, all good stuff. All right, let's talk about Wyndham Clark. By the way, do you think Odyssey's going to sell any of those Jailbird? They can't call him the Ricky Fowlers because I don't think he has a deal with them. But I think, uh, well, I don't even know if Wyndham has a deal with them necessarily. But uh, yeah. they it could maybe make it the Wyndham, the Ricky, the Ricky Wyndham putter. I mean, how many people are ordering that putter after what you watching the two guys in the final group pot with that thing personally? It doesn't look good to my eye. I'll just tell you, like, that thing kind of freaks me <laughs> out. But, look, it won him a major championship, so good on yeah. you. Yeah, and Ricky was making a lot of putts with it. What did he make, 23 birdies on the on the week? Ridiculous. And, uh, yeah, it was the most ever in a, in a U.S. Open championship. So mm. um, it's working for Ricky Fowler. And Obviously now it's working Wyndham. for Wyndham Clark. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think more people are going to be calling up that Callaway or Odyssey rep and saying, hey, I want the Wyndham putter. And that's instead of the Ricky Potter, but uh, either way, uh, it, it's pretty good stuff. Hey, I think it rolls off the tongue really good as a as a Ricky Potter. A Ricky Potter, it does kind of yeah. like yeah. I want yeah. the Ricky Potter. I loved what he said. Yeah. He goes, "What what specs?" He goes, "Ricky specs, same ones, very same." So <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty classic. All right, all right. Let, let me just start with this. You got Wyndham Clark in the final round with Ricky Fowler. You got Rory mm-hmm. and Scheffler right ahead of him. Right, like. If you're picking a guy that is not going to be a factor in this, it was Wyndham Clark. I'm talking about pre, pre-final round. You're like, this is all about Rory and Scheffler and Ricky Fowler trying to win his first major, right? Right. Wyndham's just the, like, that's, it's kind of a cute story that Wyndham Clark found himself into the final group. And it was Wyndham Clark that outclassed all of those guys, managed that final round like he was the multi-major winner. Right. I, I, look, I was super impressed. I kept waiting for him. You know that, that shot in the greatest game, the, the old Disney movie, and you know the, the, the Brits, they're talking uh, about Francis, and they're like, he's not cracking. He's like, I noticed. You know, And that was the situation. Wyndham never cracked. And even on the yeah. eighth hole when he hit it into death and he tried once, didn't get it out, somehow got it out the second time, the chip that he hit down. Look, Azinger had already given him a double, and he knocked it up there to gimme range and made made bogey. Made and bogey. Yeah. Right, so he just did that time and time again. I, I was, I mean, color me impressed by that guy, man. Well, not only was there Wyndham Clark, but there was also Cameron Smith 
who finished fourth in the event that was right behind him as well. Um, and Ricky. So, um, you know, Wyndham Clark, he wins earlier this year at the Wells Fargo, uh, designated event playing against all the big guys and he wins the golf tournament and he realizes that his game can compete with the best players in the world. And when he gets in a situation in a major championship here at the U.S. Open, uh, a course that favored his type of play with a fade and the way he was hitting the ball, he realized he had beat them all before. And I think he just felt like, you know what, this tournament is mine to win. And then that, that putt on the 54th hole on Saturday evening as it was getting dark, when he hit that shot in there about six, six, eight feet, and then he makes that putt to get into the final group, that was huge for him because then he knows it's him and Ricky and not, not in the penultimate group where Ricky and Rory would be in the final group. So I think it was pretty, pretty moxie of him to be able to make that birdie putt and get into that final group, which is where he wanted to be on the final round. Yeah, well, look, I mean, this guy is 29 years old. It was his 137th tour event. He has two wins and 16 top tens. And mm-hmm. he, in, in, as far as this year on the PGA Tour, he has two wins and seven top tens and 22 starts. I mean, this guy plays a lot yeah. of golf. And, you know, he's this is third U.S. Open. His first top ten is a dub, right? I mean, again, I mentioned yep. he, he didn't make the field at Augusta. He missed the cut at, at Oak Hill. And then he comes in here and wins. And, um, I mean, I, I did find out later, saw a video the PGA Tour put together that he's a fly fisherman. So that made me even more of a fan now of Wyndham Clark. <laughs> and he caught a nice brown that Did video. you see that out in the snow? Yeah. That was pretty good. You got to be diehard if you're going to fly fish in the snow. Yeah. I, I can appreciate that right there. So, yep. um, but yeah, no, I look, I, all the way around, he hits the ball long. He, but, but it was a short game. I think it's super underrated. Yes. I mean, the way yeah. he was able to constantly put himself in position to score or not give up a shot. I mean, where was the opportunity? Where was the time he was going to give it up? Where he, he cracked the door open with bogey on 15 and 16. Coming down the stretch. That's right. 15 and 16. But that was co- right before that. He had just made, I mean, the shot of the tournament was 14. Yeah. We got to talk to the caddy a little bit more about that. But the yeah. way Rory managed 14 or le- or failed to manage 14 and the way that uh, Wyndham managed 14, right there was the difference in the tournament in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it was. And it, as you talked about just a few moments ago, uh, this is a guy that's not used to playing a lot of majors. He's never played a Masters in 2021, 20, 22, or 23. He missed the cut in 2020 at the PGA, tied for 75th in 2021, and missed the cut in 2023. Then in the U.S. Open, missed the cut in 2021, also 2022, and he wins the U.S. Open in 2023, and he had a tie for 76th last year in the Open Championship at St. Andrews. So, but yes, that that second shot on 14 was phenomenal. He hit it right in the gap, bounced it up on the green, got his two putts, and and then had a three-shot lead going to those last three difficult holes and uh, bogeyed 15 and 16, um, or four difficult holes, bogeyed 15 and 16, and then uh, got it up and down on 17 and knocked it on the middle of the green and 
two putted from 60 feet to win the U.S. Open. Yeah, it's pretty good stuff. We'll talk more about this. Uh, Got to talk about 14. We'll talk about the Chasers. Rory McIlroy, a big story. Close once again, but didn't cash in, even though he right. played really, really well. We'll talk about that. Plus, L.A. Country Club as a venue. I want to get Bob's take on that. I'll give you mine as well. What do you think? You can hit us up at Real Golf. Would you like to see another one there? We'll talk about it next right here on Real Golf Radio. You're listening to Real Golf Radio. Talking golf with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. One day you'll get it. Here's Brian and Bob. And this segment is brought to you in part by Black Desert Resort in St. George, Utah. Check out blackdesertresort.com where you can book your tee time to play the Tom Weiskopf championship design. It's his 73rd and sadly final design, but what a masterpiece and legacy it is. Tee times are available right now while the rest of the resort is under construction. You can play it. Check out blackdesertresort.com and thanks again for joining us here as we look back at the 123rd US Open at LA Country Club and Bob as we said there were players that were chasing one of them being Rory McIlroy here's what Rory had to say after your golf course was playing um, you know was playing really tricky and and obviously the you know the scores in the final few groups reflected that um, yeah I mean I, I, I didn't feel I there's a couple of things that I probably would have done differently, but um, you know, all in all, I I played a solid round of golf. I um, you know that one wedge shot on 14, missed birdie putt on eight. Um, really, apart from that, I I did everything else the you know the way I wanted to. Um, but yeah, fine, fine, fine margins at this at this level and and at this tournament especially and. Um, but you know, I, I fought to the very end. I um, obviously never give up, and you know, well, I'm getting closer. Um, you know, I, the the more I keep putting myself in these positions, sooner or later, it's going to happen for me. And um, just got to regroup and and get focused for Hoy Lake in a few weeks' time. So interesting to hear Rory McIlroy, a four-time major champion. Let's talk about like, like he's trying to win his first. I know it's been nine years since he broke through and last one at the PGA at Valhalla, but look, this is a guy that's got a tremendous resume. He has, what is he, he, he 24 wins, something like Three. that? 23, 23 wins. 23 wins yep. and the four major championships. He's obviously played well in Ryder Cups. He's put himself in position, as he said, but man, he is really down. Like this is, this is really weighing on him and you could almost sense that um, feeling and the enormity of what he's trying to do do because of the expectations not only from himself but from the golf world and golf fans yeah you know Rory has played some really good golf this year too uh, he had a little bit of a a lull there around the players championship in the masters but um you know he's got uh, right now he's played 12 events he has one win two runners two runners up so far seven top tens and uh seven top 25s He's made uh, 10 cuts, missed two cuts, and those cuts that he missed were uh, the Players' Championship and, of course, the Masters. Then, you know, just in the last month or so with the PGA Championship tied for seventh, Memorial tied for seventh, RBC Canadian Open tied for ninth, and then a runner-up. And then he, But he's won once already this year in the CJ Cup. So the thing you have to understand about Rory is they, those, these guys expect so much more um, out of themselves. And... Uh, and he played some phenomenal golf in the final round. 
Um, he was fixed, fifth in strokes gained off the tee with with his driver, fifteenth uh, in strokes gained approach, sixteenth um, in strokes gained short game, and this is where it hurt him. He was minus two strokes gained, fifty seventh in putting, and 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 I I see that because this golf course was set up in such a way, especially in the last round that things were a lot more bouncy. Balls weren't holding as much. Pins were tucked a little bit more. It was harder to get to the to the flags. So the um, proximity of the hole was much further for all the players, and so it was really hard to score and um, try to make a move because there wasn't a lot of opportunities inside like 15 feet, maybe 20 feet, that they could really putt at the hole and try to make a birdie. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. And it, it, it they, they mentioned it on the broadcast, but it was really evident. It seemed very similar to St. Andrews a year ago. Yeah. Where Rory yep. was right there. The opportunity was there. Cam Smith found a way. And Rory just couldn't. He couldn't get it close enough or couldn't make the putts. Just nothing was able to pay off for him. And, you know, he hit... I mean, I think he the number of greens he hit for the week is some sort of a record for a non-winner of the U.S. Open. I mean, he just was was tremendous in his ball striking, yeah. but that putting in the final round, as you mentioned, hurt him. This is what I look at when I look at Rory and this PGA Tour stats, strokes gain, or, or his scoring average. You know, round one is 66, jumps to 19th in uh, the second round, 23rd in the third round. So look, those those two, he starts out with 70.36, then goes 69.6, 69.2, right? So he's, he's putting himself there. That's that's good scoring. It's great scoring. Yeah. Final round scoring yep. average, 70.67, which is 123rd on tour. So he literally opens up inside the top 20 and then falls to, well, opens up at 66, but middle rounds there, he gets himself into position, and then he slips yeah. out to 123rd. I, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, it, you know, the stats don't lie, and compared to the rest of the PGA Tour, his final round scoring average isn't good. Why, why do you suppose that is? Well, you know, uh, when you look at the whole body of work from the U.S. Open this last week, he shot nine under par. So 271 was his final, was his score. And that was the lowest in a U.S. Open by a player who Mm. did not win ever, ever. So Rory played some great golf. It's just that Wyndham Clark played one shot better. And there could have been a lot of holes where maybe Rory could have made a six or a seven or an eight footer for a par or a birdie that could have made up the difference. It's just that um, in his final round, he played a great round of golf. He shot 70. He shot even par. And a lot of times when you're chasing a guy like a Wyndham Clark who hasn't had much experience in majors and you saw his record of the amount of cuts he's missed and stuff like that, a 70 would have been a great score mm-hmm. to really push him and um, to win the golf tournament. But unfortunately for him, Wyndham Clark was able to play just as well and match him and be able to win the golf tournament by a shot over Rory. Yeah, for the season, Rory McIlroy's fourth on the PGA Tour in strokes gain total, uh, second off the tee, 10th into the green, 103rd putting, right? I mean, uh, he, he, so this is a guy that, yeah. you know, he, he's the longest on the PGA Tour. His driving accuracy isn't awesome, but it doesn't matter because his greens and reg. He, you know, he, he's, he's 92nd, 65%, but um, he, he just is, look, he's getting it done. His game is pretty, pretty much there, and it was for a while that he was fighting the driver. You know, he just didn't have the driving game that he had when he was winning majors. He seems to have figured that out. 
just in time for his putter to fail him, you know, which is, which is unfortunate, but you know, Rory McIlroy, look, he's getting ready for Hoylake. He's going back to a place that he's won before. Obviously every time, you know, another major ticks by that he, that he's close and doesn't win. It adds a little bit more pressure, but he's got to have a sense of, you know, confidence and a shot in the arm going back to a place where he won before. Yeah. And let's just face it. He's 23 wins. What four major championships. Rory McIlroy is going to be a hall of famer um, in the world of golf. He's, he's passed the bar. That is what it takes to be, a great player in today's game of 20 wins on the PGA tour. And Rory's not going anywhere. Rory's going to play great golf between now and when he retires or when he's done on the PGA tour. And I really, really feel like Rory's going to win some more majors and uh, hopefully he gets that uh, one with the green jacket so he can get that career grand slam. I know you're rooting for that. It is a good story. It's history, right? History in the making. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Ricky Fowler was in the final group. He was a fan favorite, a lot of expectations, and uh, just wasn't his day. I just didn't have it today. Um, iron play was was uh, very below average and um, didn't make anything. So uh, that's that's a big thing in majors, especially on a Sunday making putts and, and kind of keeping it fairly stress-free, but um, it was it was kind of the opposite. I was kind of fighting through it all day. Um, felt like I drove it, you know, at least good enough to where, you know, iron play stays how it's been and, and make some putts. It's a little different situation, but um, yeah, being a little off, like I said, with, with irons and uh, not making anything, um, like I said, I just, I didn't have it and couldn't get anything going today. Ricky Fowler uh, didn't have it, and it was unfortunate. It seemed like he faded pretty quickly in this one and, and was just playing alongside. But look, you talk about a guy that's trying to climb out of the abyss. A year ago, Bob, on the PGA Tour, he was 133rd in strokes gain total. Okay, And so again, strokes gained is interesting because it basically compares himself to the rest of the players on the PGA Tour. This year, he's 10th. Bob, 133rd to 10th. I mean, that is... Wow. That's amazing. I, I yep. mean, it's, it's phenomenal, right? So, and, and let's just not, not just to get hung up in the stats. The results are there. Here's Ricky yeah. firing a, a record 62 and finding himself playing well enough to be in the final group on Sunday. So he came up short, but a year ago, he didn't even make it into this event. So you look at that progress and you say, hey, you know, it's there. Sure, it's disappointing. He said it sucks to not win, but a lot of good to take out. What, what was your thoughts on Ricky? Well, like you said, a year ago, he didn't play the event. He was he was on the practice tee waiting for a phone call because he was Brutal. the first alternate and didn't get in. But, you know, here's a guy that's, like you said, started uh, the year in 103rd. He was all the way down to like 187th in the world. Uh, clawed, clawed his way all the way back up to 45th, and now he's 35th after the U.S. Open. But he's played some great golf. Um, he continues week after week to feel more comfortable. Um, he he did have some difficulty, especially in the final round, and he gave up. Um, he gave up a bunch. He gave up uh, uh, almost three shots with his strokes gained approach to the to the to the greens, and uh, and then also fifty third, a uh, minus one and a half shots just with his putting alone in that final round. So um, it didn't go his way. Um, but again, tied for fifth and another great finish for Ricky Fowler, another top five in a major championship. 
Scotty Scheffler is the number one player in the world. He was close, but just uh, not quite on Sunday. I was just trying to hit some good shots and get some looks, and I felt like on the front nine I didn't give myself enough opportunities for birdie. And then, you know, on the back nine I bogeyed 11 and 12, which kind of hurt my momentum, but then I bounced back nice with a birdie on 13. Um, but it's just tough out there. You got you to put the ball in the right spots, and um, it's tough to make putts. But, I mean, I fought hard today and um you know i'm obviously a little frustrated to come up short but i put up a good fight and you know Wyndham played some fantastic golf this week and so he's a well well deserving champion i like scotty i mean he's easy to root for i I kept thinking he would make some moves and look birdie in 13 and 16 down the stretch that was pretty good look he went he goes two under 13 through 18 two under all it needed was a little crack in the armor from Wyndham clark and Scotty Scheffler was right there. I mean, that's a very difficult stretch. That's the meat of the golf course. And he goes two under on Sunday in those conditions. That's some damn good plan. I'll just say it, right? But Wyndham <laughs> didn't crack. And that's maybe, to no. me, at the end of the day, that's what was so impressive watching the way Wyndham hand, handled himself. Well, and again, Scotty Scheffler now has, uh, what? He's not missed a cut this year. He's only got uh, two rounds outside of or, or two tournaments outside of the top 10 or three. And uh, what, 14 top 10s, another uh, third place finish in a major championship. He continues to prove why he is the number one player in the world because he is totally comfortable getting himself into a position to um, to contend and have a chance to win golf tournaments and major championships. He, um, he's an exciting player to watch, in my opinion, because he's come so far in just a short period of time, a year and a half to two years, and winning golf tournaments and playing the type of golf that he plays. Well, how about being just comfortable by being in yeah. contention? There's a, that, that, Absolutely. That's, a, that's a skill in and of itself. That, that's a talent in and of itself to be comfortable, to be in contention all of the, every single time you tee it up. So yeah, really, really good stuff. Hey, when we come back, Boyd Summerhays is going to join us. He's got a lot of reasons to talk U.S. Open. We'll, uh, we're excited to welcome him in next. Thanks for joining us here on Real Golf Radio. Back to Real Golf Radio with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. All right, welcome back. It's Real Golf Radio. Brian Taylor, Bob Casper. Thanks again for joining us here. We're looking back at L.A. Country Club in the 123rd U.S. Open last week. Wyndham Clark, the champ, and really excited to welcome in, as mentioned, our good friend who spends all his time these days on a golf course or on a range somewhere, uh, analyzing and helping uh, some of the best players in the world, including three of his own kids, actually, that are out there playing and competing and growing into fine players in their own right. Boyd Summerhays is our guest. Boyd, how are you? I'm doing great, Brian. Bob, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's good. To see. It was great to see you last week and walk around a little bit. I just thought the whole thing was super cool. I thought about it as a father. It was Father's Day, and you're out there. You're watching your son compete in the U.S. Open Championship. And, you know, we stood with you and chatted just briefly, but you could just sense that's got to be not only a sense of pride, but just nervous, right? I mean, I would imagine as a former player yourself, it's a lot harder to watch your kids out there than be out there doing it yourself, huh? Yeah, it's by far the worst. <laughs> I say worse, but I mean, there's obviously great moments and uh, moments that they'd like to do better in. But as a parent, you just naturally, you care about your kid. You want what's best for them. And that's not necessarily what's best for them is that they're always succeeding, right? But um, 
yeah, it's just natural on the course. I find myself much more uptight or <laughs> watching my own kids and say even a professional client that I make my living from. So, or, a, or an amateur golfer that, that comes and sees me when I watch them compete. It's all just like a different feeling, but watching your own kid play and especially in a major championship and you want them to do well, <laughs> it's uh, you got to breathe out there. That's for sure. <laughs> hey, so how involved are you with uh, Preston in instruction, in uh, your thinking process or his thinking process around a golf course, that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, I've been his coach and his mentor and by his side his whole career. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I coach my kids, their technique and the mental game and golf IQ, anything I can give to them. Um that's what I've done. And it's been a cool process with Preston. I caddy for him in the qualifier, but not in the U S open. I caddy for him in almost every one of his tour events and his last major championship as well. And then these two state AMs that he won, but those were moments where at the time you, you are trying to develop them as a player, but also you want those father son moments that are just amazing too. It's not always just about the golf side. It's, there's been some really cool moments we've been able to share together just caddying, you know, at the waste management at Wingfoot and when he played in the U.S. Open. But this year, I've, I've watched him play over the last um, several months, and it's really cool. I'm starting to feel like every time I watch him play, I'm like, mm, sure, of course he's going to hit bad shots. That's inevitable, but that's not a bad decision or that's not the wrong strategy. He really understands his game. He really understands the game. And we thought it was a good time for me not to caddy here at this uh, – major championship at LACC just because I feel like it was always the plan to, I'm, I never wanted to be my kids caddies long-term. Um, the only reason why I would do it is it's I'm free that week or that I truly still am helping them in that developmental stage. And um, me and Preston have worked really well together as far as, you know, coach and student and, on the bag, I think that over the years, I can't imagine how many, it would be hard to remember how many rounds and hours I've spent on a course caddying and going over the X's and O's, but he just, I watch him play and I'm really proud of him and all his hard work and development where he just does the right things on the course. And so I just did everything with Preston as I would have done with Tony or Taylor Gooch or any other tour pro and just the normal preparation and getting ready for a tournament. And that's what I see moving forward with Preston. I will caddy for him, I bet, once or twice a year, probably at least once. But that's just as a perspective of a coach. I think it's invaluable if the coach is healthy enough to carry the bag and not get in the way. I think it's an amazing way to see how a player thinks, reacts in certain situations, how far their ball goes in certain situations when they get you know a little amped up. But um, he's developing really really nicely and he didn't play well last week but that he actually took a lot of confidence from it where he was like wow dad you've seen me play lately and that was <laughs> that was not good and I still with nine holes to go had a chance you know get to the weekend and compete so all positives and it's just really fun to see kind of a proud dad moment as I passed him on to you know another caddy but um, a really proud coach moment where you're just like okay he's a uh, he knows everything he needs to know to be at the highest level. And, and um, it gives him a lot of confidence too when I'm not always by his side and, you know, trying to act as if I'm doing more for him than I really am. And he's so, so good and he's worked really hard on his own. And golf is a very independent game. And 
he's taken a lot of pride in being able to get to a golf tournament, say in college golf, they go in the afternoon, they play a quick practice round, and they got to get ready to play the next day. I think being gone at college has really helped him at Arizona State where he's had to do a lot of that preparation on his own or with his teammates and, and coaches there over the last couple of years. But I've noticed a big difference in his game, the way he approaches it, and it's been really exciting for me to see. Boyd Summerhays joining us here on Real Golf Radio. You kind of bring up something. And by the way, I loved all that. Thank you for sharing. As parents, we want our kids to take up the hobbies that we like and that we enjoy. And oftentimes that involves golf or other sports. And we want so badly for them to just kind of grasp the same love of it that we have. And and then we try so hard to do what's what we think is best for them, which, as you pointed out, isn't always best for them. How did you balance that? And this is maybe a, a bigger topic, but how do you balance that time as, okay, I'm dad, but now i got to step in and be coach and kind of not dad, a little bit of dad, but but more coach and, and, and still maintain the relationship where they still like you when you go home for dinner at night? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a balance. I've made my mistakes over the years, and I, I'm – I like sharing those with people that I care about that they're trying to take their kids through the, the same process. And I kind of had, you know, I look at it three ways. First, I'm their dad. Next, in, in my case with my three kids, I am one of their best friends. So I've got dad, best friend, and then coach. And over the years, I've gotten better about actually distinguishing the three. Even if we're at home talking about something, I'll say to one of my kids, hey, this is, this is advice or this is me talking as a dad. Okay. Now this is me talking as, Hey, you're asking a best friend's opinion because a dad and a best friend, they talk differently, right? <laughs> we mess up with a best friend or best friends just tell us what the heck are you doing? Right. Or why are you doing, uh, <laughs> why are you wanting to go do that? Or this, that, and the other, you just talk to somebody bluntly when your best friend, a dad is there to support and really facilitate them becoming, you know, who they were meant to be in this world. And, kind of be there emotionally, physically, spiritually, uh, to support them. And then a coach, um, I've had the same theory with all my players is that I don't hover too much on tour. I, I've never been the type that travels week to week. There's usually every other week. And so there's that independence for the player where they've got to figure it out on their own too. And that's what type of player I like to work with anyway, or that's what I believe in my philosophy. So I'm never hovering too tightly, even on the coaching side. Yeah, of course, when they were younger and that the lessons and what they needed to learn was so much more intense, there's a lot more time involved. But as they get better, it evolves into different things. I mean, as they get older, we can make their golf game, quote unquote, or their life better by being really supportive parents. And so I take those three roles. It, get, it gets confusing, though, too. I've, I've had my fair share of, you know, chats with, you know, Preston, Grace, and Cam where it's like, okay, um, we actually literally before we start talking, it's like, okay, this is like a dad conversation. This is a best friend conversation. And then this is coach because hmm. the kid hears it differently. If he knows which one you're coming from, if I'm getting on him about something of the golf stuff, but I haven't clarified that, Hey, this is, this is my coach's opinion. It may come off as like, dang, dad's disappointed in me like dad, instead of like, okay, coach wants me to do this because they, you feel it differently. And I think, once I made the, once I had the ability to kind of separate the three, the dad, best friend and coach, when I communicated, it made it so much easier for, for me and for them. But also I think, um, one thing that I've always told parents and I, you know, if you ask my kids, one of the, the rules for me 
as a parent is when I mess up, I just say, sorry. You know, I, I've, I've seen some great parents. I had great parents. Uh, you know, if I, if someone gives time, I consider them a great parent. They're willing to give their time, but I don't see me, hear many sorries. And when I had the kids and I saw how difficult it was to teach your own kids and how emotions can get involved and it makes it tougher to be um, more clear or calm and patient, I would just say sorry, you know, when I mess up. And that built a lot of confidence with the kids that, hey, dad doesn't think he knows everything. He doesn't think that it's always got to be his way. If there's a mistake made, he'll, he'll admit it too. And I think that's probably a good thing for parents is that I would never want people looking at me thinking, oh man, he has it all figured out. I definitely have figured things out for the way it works with me, Preston, Grace, and Cam, but that's come through a lot of mistakes too. So you got one down, Preston, in the U.S. Open. Now you got Grace coming up here in a, in a week or so playing yeah. in her first U.S. Open. Got to be excited about that as well. Yeah, I'm so excited. I mean, I love my kids <laughs> with all I have, but a daughter, is, it's just something different. When she was a, so the, so the day she qualified was, we were lucky enough to be doing the national championship at Greyhawk for Preston in Arizona State, and they got eliminated in the quarterfinals on the last hole. And Grace had just finished her first 18, and she was four under, so she was just in, inside the number. So we raced down there, me and my wife and um, other family members, her grandparents, and we're watching her, and she's playing really, really good. And I've been around the game so much that it's never over till it's over, and you're never safe till it's safe. But but she was playing so nice and she made this big putt on number 15. And I kind of allowed myself to look, you know, how many, how many strokes we got safe here. And then it looked like she was going to make it. And then the next thing is that I've told my kids for years, if I had one course to play and one group to play, it would be Pebble beach. And it would be with, you know, my kids and Barbara Gina tag along, keep score. And Grace, about a month ago, she said, Dad, the amateur schedule's a little light in the summer. Can we finally go to Pebble Beach and play? And Cam's like, Dad, take us to Pebble, because Preston had played it in the U.S. Amateur. And I said, yeah, we'll, I'll make sure we get down there this summer. <clears throat> well, when she looked like she was going to make it, I'm like, wow, where is it this year? I kind of forgot. And I look at it's Pebble Beach, and I honestly just got choked up. And when she tapped in to advance, I had never seen her more excited because in golf, like she's progressed really nicely. She's gotten better. She's really good. She played a really nice college season, college season, but she hasn't qualified for the last two U S amateurs. She didn't play or qualify for the last two U S juniors. There's disappointment, <clears throat> disappointment. So for her to get in the U S open at Pebble beach, where I've been telling her it's my favorite course in the world. I mean, I was, <laughs> I got choked up for sure. And to see her so emotional, excited about making it, and then how excited our family was. I mean, those are moments you just never forget. So we're going into Pebble, just going to soak it in. It's going to be a huge, huge scene for her. She's never played a tour of a tour event, let alone a, a major championship. And that's exciting because she's going to get thrown in the fire. She'll learn how her brain and her body react. And but overall, I think it's just going to be an amazing experience for her to be around some of the best women in the game. She's been around the men's game more than she has the women's game. And I know she's looking forward to, she's got some great practice rounds lined up with some amazing players. And, um, I can tell even we're a week out and she's, uh, <laughs> she can't wipe the smile off her face, nor can I. 
That's awesome. Congratulations on that. Hey, we appreciate you taking some time and congratulations oh, on it. the success with your, your family, your kids, your clients. And, uh, I, man, go enjoy Pebble Beach. We'll be rooting you on. <laughs> what a cool experience coming off of LA and then going right into this. You know, that that's great stuff, boy. To, and congratulations on it all. Hey, I appreciate you guys always supporting. It means a lot. Yeah, well, it's fun to Thanks, watch. Boyd. Nice job. Boyd Summerhays joining us here on Real Golf Radio. Good dude. That's some great stuff. You might want to log that one and share that with uh, those that you love in the golf world as you're kind of either training or, or working with one of your kids in the game or whether you're a kid and working with your dad or mom, you might want to share that as well. So that was really, really insightful. Appreciate Boyd for sharing that. Stay tuned. More of the show coming up next. You're listening to Real Golf Radio. Talking golf with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. One day you'll get it. Here's Brian and Bob. Welcome back to the show. Brian Taylor, Bob Casper. Thanks again to Boyd Summerhays. Hope you enjoyed that. Some terrific insights. And there's more on that we'll be sharing coming up next week. Or if you're listening on our flagship station, 97.5 DKSL Sports Zone. More on that in hour number three. So stay tuned for that. Hey, by the way, congrats. Zach Blair off to a start. Pair of 65s at the Travelers uh, right there at the top of the leaderboard. Well played, Zach. Rory McIlroy with his first hole-in-one in his career on the PGA Tour. That's phenomenal. 3,000 and... 200 and something par threes and he finally aced one it's pretty incredible hey when we come back on the back nine hour number two caddy joins us more as we look back on the 123rd u.s open championship at la country club north thanks again for joining us brian and bob right here on real golf radio